This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Israel's past is a fascinating and complicated tale. Its existence today can only be described as a miracle of Yehovah. Al McCarn takes us through the highlights of where Israel came from, why it was called Palestine, and who made it happen. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalomi, homies. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Passover is behind us, Shavuot is coming up, and tonight we're starting a new series with Al McCarn. Excitement all around. We are entering into the seventh day of the counting of the Omer as well on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. As you can see there, we are already on the fourth Shabbat of the month of the Aviv. Let's talk about what's next with my co-host, Ted Clayton. Scott, we had a fantastic time at Passover. It was an event like no other. We had great speakers, a great time was had by all. And ladies and gentlemen, I just wanna thank you. Thank you for participating, if you did, with Passover 2023. Uh, it, it was just fantastic. It was. It was just so fun having everybody together again. Absolutely. Even if it wasn't in a hotel, it was just in our little office. And boy, it was little. You realize how little, you know, we think it's a yeah. big office, but when you get 80 people in here. That's right. <laughs> it was It was pretty jam-packed in here. But I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it was fantastic. And uh, can't wait for next year. And hopefully next year it'll be even bigger and better and maybe even back into a conference center again. Yep, whole lot of fun. Now, something we always promise every year is that, you know, we get the calendar ready. Right. We have to wait for the new moon. And this year was interesting. There's, you know, the, the new moon was delayed a day and the, yeah. and there was some, even some debate around the barley, but we decided, no, it's, it's a new year. Several yep. other people thought that as well. So we said, Absolutely. okay, let's do it. New year. And then we send the calendar that shows all of those things off to the printer. Right. And of course, it takes a little bit of time. So one of our promises every year is after Passover, the calendar's coming. So guess what? The calendar's coming. Now, we right. don't even have one to show you here. We can show you on screen. There it is right there. This is what it's looking like. This is what it's going to be coming in your mail very soon. So what does it include? So, well, it's a significant events in the Bible correlated to our calendar. That's now, right. We already have, you know, there are events from the chronological gospels in Yes. There. Uh, but this time it's all around the Bible. So what we did was, you know, how uh, in biblical months, it's in the Bible that's referred to as the first month or the yes. second month. They don't yes. have names in Hebrew originally right. for uh, for the months. In, in Babylonian times they did. But uh, so we looked, just looked through the Bible and went, well, what happened in the first month, in the second yeah. month, in the yeah. third month? And we found some interesting things. So we decided to make that the theme of this year's uh, calendar. So you'll see uh, all kinds of beautiful pictures there created by our, uh, our team, uh, specifically Mark Larson, Shout out to Mark Larson. He is our oh primary boy. guy. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, he does a fantastic job, ladies and gentlemen. I have known 
Mark for probably over 30 years now. Oh, wow. And he is one of the quintessential graphic artists of our time, and he has really gone all out with this calendar. Yeah, yeah all three of that. You know, we have three guys from that family here. Yeah, oh yeah. His son, Andrew, does all the yeah. animations, which you saw on Passover. That's right. That's And That's right. also his son, uh, Tim, is also involved with the calendar as well. So Tim handles all the complicated stuff. Right. All the dates on the calendar. Exactly. Well, that, I, exactly. If you look at that thing and go, how do you do that? Good question. We have three, four, five guys proof, proofreading this thing before it yeah. goes to the calendar because this is a complicated thing. Absolutely. Like, we have to have many people look at it. And if you scrutinize it enough, you'll probably find something we missed. You know, it's that yeah. detailed of a thing. Of course, of course. But ladies and gentlemen, you're gonna love this calendar this year. It is gonna be one of the best that uh, Michael and A Rude Awakening has done this year. So uh, I just can't wait for it to come out. Yep, it's gonna come out very soon. So if you don't see it in your mailbox, look for it very soon. Now, uh, the, the more copies you get, by the way, Ted, uh, the, the more you can save. So you get 10% off for two, you wanna get 10, you'll get 15% off, and if you wanna get some for your whole Torah study, uh, get 20 of them, you'll get 20% off. So that is a beautiful thing there. Absolutely, yep. and, and how can people go and uh, get the calendar. Where do they go on, online? To we get made this it calendar? hyper easy. It's okay. uh, arudeawakening.tv slash calendar. That's it. Okay, yep, well, very simple. good, very good. Now, we also have a fantastic love gift this month as yes, well. Yes, we do. Now, speaking of Al McCarn, it's kind of Al McCarn month here at Arude Awakening. <laughs> so you're going to see him tonight, his first episode on Shabbat Night Live, and you're also going to see this. Here is the love gift. There you see it on the screen. Uh, Al decided to do a teaching for us called The Warrior's Kingdom Calling. Why is it called that? Well, because uh, Al was in um, intelligence in the U.S. Army. Mm -hmm. uh, for many years, and uh, he said that his greatest tour of duty was not for the government, it was for his family. And he said the ironic thing about that was that his enemies were also doing the same thing. Yeah, they were fighting for their country, but when he got to know them, because he did get to know them, uh, they were just fighting for their family too. And you know, a, a wonderful thing with Al also, we went even further in depth with him. We did a podcast with him as well. Yes, So we uh, it, you can be looking for that podcast up on uh, YouTube uh, to be able to see that. And he goes even deeper and tells us some of the secrets that he possibly couldn't say on Shabbat Night Live. Oh. But he did on the podcast. So that's the Rude Radio podcast, and uh, I, I happen to host it. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, come out, look at that as well. It's going to be a great thing. But Scott, there's even more with the love gift. Tell us about that. Of course, yeah. Of course, you get the teaching, which is the most important part of it. Right. And then, of course, we like to, uh, you know, Michael said, you know what? When folks give to this ministry, we want to thank them. We want to just, just give them something that's of value to them that might appreciate. So this is what you get for the $100 gift. You get this pewter and rhinestone wall hanging. And uh, it's, you know how in New York they say uh, there's that, there's that word that says uh, love, or I love New York, uh -huh, right, right, or right, L-O-V-E. They've done yeah. the same thing in Hebrew. So these are the word, these are the letters that spell uh, love in Hebrew, ahava. Oh, okay. So you get that for a donation of $100, okay. and for you. $300, you'll get that, the teaching, and uh, it's a resin scroll uh, of, uh, it's almost like a, a clay type of a looking thing on a stand that's the Lord's Prayer. And ladies and gentlemen, you need to really look at this. As you can see on the screen right now, this is this is a piece of art. I yeah, mean, this beautiful. is incredible. And once again, it's a great thing 
uh, to be able to have discussions with your friends, your family, talk about your faith with this, and talk about the Lord's Prayer with that. Indeed, and you know, Ted, the uh, the donations, uh, you know, first of all, thanks to everyone who gave to First Fruits last week. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that was a, a really beautiful thing because that helps us get through the summer uh, summer months because, you know, as you mentioned last week, I think it was that uh, everyone's going on vacation and sometimes sure. those donations make it to the campground instead of <laughs> to and, ministries. Instead, yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. So it's, it is important, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and, and by the way, just because uh, first, first Fruits has come and gone doesn't mean that our need is over. Right. Uh, there's a great need here at A Root Awakening to continue to take the gospel throughout the world, and we can only do that with your help. It is so unbelievably vital that you partner with Michael and us to take this message of the gospel everywhere. And that's what we're desperately trying to do right now. And ladies and gentlemen, we cannot do that without you. So once again, it is important. Your sacrificial giving makes a difference here to Root Awakening. And indeed. And and of course, but Michael always runs things on the edge and talks about things he shouldn't maybe talk about. And that's what we like to continue to do here. Right, You know, give you the information that maybe not everybody else is giving you. So that's why, you know, it's really important that we all stick together. We'll do what we can if you can do what you can to support this ministry. We all work together. We got to stick together because this is how the enemy divides us. Right. And we we do not uh, fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities that are dividing us. We need to resist that, stick together, and get this message out. Absolutely right, Scott. All right. So Al McCarn takes us through the highlights of where Israel came from, why it's called Palestine, and who made it happen. That's coming up tonight, but right now it's time to get your bread and wine to do the Kiddush with Michael. Stay tuned. Throughout the centuries, enemies have gone to war over the worthiest of causes. And yet, all of these causes fade into the pages of history. So why do we fight? If our adversary can cause us to forget how we became who we are, then we become unstable structures with no firm foundation. Al McCarn served as a military intelligence officer with the United States Army and comes from a long line of military men. But his greatest tour of duty was not to serve America. It was to serve his family, just as his enemies were doing. This teaching, The Warrior's Kingdom Calling, is our gift to thank you for supporting A Rude Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in April, we'll send you The Warrior's Kingdom Calling on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you The Warrior's Kingdom Calling, plus a pewter and rhinestone wall hanging in the shape of the word Ahava, meaning love in Hebrew. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts. The Warrior's Kingdom Calling, the Hebrew Ahava wall hanging, plus a decorative 10-inch resin scroll of the Lord's Prayer, complete with a metal easel for stand-up display. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Rude Awakening International in April. Call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. 
The Chronological Gospels Bible is changing lives all over the world, putting everything the Messiah did in exact chronological order and explaining the behind-the-scenes truth of what the Messiah did, when He did it, and why. The timing of it all means everything. And now, the Chronological Gospels can be easier on your eyes. The larger print edition features 40% larger type, and every page appears exactly the same as the original, so you can follow along with others who have the regular size version. The Chronological Gospels larger print edition also has wider margins to write notes, and the premium quality paper means you can highlight without soaking through. Plus, the larger print edition lies flat, so you can teach without having to hold the book open. The Chronological Gospels Larger Print Edition is a big and beautiful coffee table book, measuring a full 12 inches tall and 9 inches wide. Study the Bible with clarity and ease. I love the size of this book. This is 9 by 12. The paper is, is perfect because it doesn't bleed through when I write on it. I can mark it up, and I always make notes in all my Bibles. Everything is the same place as it is on the smaller version, and I can just stand back and I can teach from it, and it's just, it's the perfect size. I pray thee, of whom speaks this prophet? Order the Chronological Gospels larger print edition by phone or online. You'll get 40% larger type than the original. Call 800-788-7887. That's 800-788-7887 or get the Chronological Gospels Bible Larger Print Edition online at arudawakening.tv slash large. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, said that David, King David, was a prophet who saw beforehand the coming of the Messiah. He saw that his son, the Messiah, would be the Kohen Gadol forever after the order of the Melech Zadik. And Yeshua, ordained as the Melech Zadik, as the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, brought forth bread and wine in Yeshua. On the night in which he was betrayed, brought forth bread and wine and interpreted the very thing that Abraham saw so many generations before. Yeshua took bread and he spoke this blessing. Baruchatah Yehovah Elam Hainu Malak HaOlam Homotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. And he broke the bread and he said, this broken bread represents my broken body, which will be broken for you. By my stripes, you will be healed. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm paying the price. Then he took the wine and he said, Barukata Yehovah Elohenu Melech HaOlam. Barei Pari Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, creator of the heavens and the earth and the creator of the fruit of the vine. And he said, this represents the renewed covenant, which will be paid for in my blood. As often as you break this bread and you drink this cup, you exhibit what I've done for you because I am making you priest and kings. I'm paying the price. Shabbat Shalom, priests and kings.
think anyone would argue the fact that there are many miracles in Israel's history. How did they get here? How did they ever survive? We need to look back into the history and see exactly what happened and where God intervened and how do we connect with that history as well? And we have someone here today that can help us understand all this. Please welcome Al McCarn. Al, welcome to Shabbat Night Live. Thank you, Scott, it is a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here because uh, folks don't know that uh, you and your wife, uh, Charlene, had, um, well, you visited me for quite some time. We had, we had done a health program together yes. uh, with, my, with my company, Laird Wellness, and that's how we met you. Yes. And uh, that was through uh, a local church here, our, our local Messianic congregation, uh, headed up by Matthew Vanderels. Yes. And we've had him here on the stage before. Yes. And uh, Matthew and uh, Angie here with the ministry both said, you know, we've got to have Al here. I said, really? Well, tell me about Al, because when we were doing our health thing, you never told me everything you knew, so. Well, you never asked. <laughs> I guess I never asked, I never knew to ask. So you have a very interesting uh, history, just personally. Yeah. And I think uh, folks would just really be intrigued to hear that, so I just uh, tell us about yourself. Okay, uh, well, let's see, I could go back to 1739 when my first American ancestors were, arrived on this continent, but you don't want me to go back that far. Right? <laughs> you could if we want, we could. <laughs> no, uh, I, I grew up in Alabama uh, with deep southern roots. Uh, my brother and I actually were born in Pensacola, Florida, in the only time that my parents ever lived outside of Alabama. Hmm. Um, but I grew up in a, a strong, believing Baptist family, and uh, then, my brother and I went into a, a Christian academy that was sponsored by a Presbyterian church. So at a very early age, I learned that um, I need Jesus in order to have a relationship with my creator. And I also learned that there's this thing called free will and another thing called predestination and the Baptists and the Presbyterians argue about it, but they're both in the Bible and they both are of God and I don't understand it, but let's just accept it and move on. Mm. <laughs> and I, I say that by way of, uh, the, the Lord was using that in my early years, teen years, in high school, when I'm learning Bible from a Baptist minister in a Presbyterian academy, that there are a number of different interpretations of the truth of our infinite God. And um, rather than trying to throw stones at one another and to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. Maybe it's best to understand that we are just finite beings trying to understand the infinite and express this and walk this out in the best way we can. So, um, you know, I came out of high school with a good foundation in the scriptures thanks to my church and my Christian school. And um, went to Florida State University because it was 300 miles away from Birmingham and it was time to get out and be on my own. <laughs> no, really, that was it. Um, majored in Russian and German, uh, went through the Army, Army ROTC program and came out the other end a second lieutenant of military intelligence. Ah. And that was my life for the next 30 years. Um, I had, all I wanted to do was be a soldier. Um, <clears throat> I was interested in history and in other cultures. And when I went to FSU and decided, yeah, it's time to go into the army and follow that dream. Well, it made sense at the height of the Cold War to learn our adversary's language, so that's why I studied Russian. And then realized I'd probably be dealing with the Cold War in Germany, so I might wanna learn German as well. And sure enough, spent my first uh, tour in Germany, uh, then came back, went to the uh, military office, intelligence officer's advanced course in Arizona, and that's where I met my wife, 
I went to Arizona, a single man came back with a wife and two children. Uh, not all at once, we lived in Arizona <laughs> three times. Um, but what, what really began to move us onto a different, a different and accelerated track of where the Jewish and Christian worlds um, intersect and where my identity, my Hebraic identity became real to me was in the environs of Washington, D.C. Hmm. Uh, we moved to Washington, actually Alexandria, Virginia, in December of 1999. At the time, I was an Army reservist and I was hired by the Defense Department, um, the Office of the Inspector General, and uh, that opened a lot of doors. For the next 12 and a half years, except for one year in Baghdad, which is another story, uh, I was in and out of the Pentagon and every single agency of the intelligence community and uh, a lot of law enforcement agencies as well. And at the same time, in the spring of 2001, the Holy Spirit knocks on my door and says, hey, I'm here, I'd like to introduce myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of things happen spring of 2001. Um, I, oh, by the way, I, I did finish a master's in history at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Um, went through a master's in uh, international relations that the army bought at Southern California and uh, half of a PhD in history at Arizona. But that's what I was trying to finish up in Washington. I was working on my dissertation and then 9-11 happened and mm. I was called back to active duty and uh, for the next seven and a half years finished out my military career in the national intelligence community. Um, but during that same time, from 2001 to 2012, that's when my wife and I and our children are learning, not only is there this scriptural, intellectual faith that we have had, but there is a spiritual side with the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we're learning about this through a Pentecostal church that we were attending at the time. And then at the same time, I'm beginning to understand that there's... Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law to fulfill it, so maybe I want to figure out what that's all about. And that's how that was the introduction to the Torah awakening in our family. So we have been Sabbath keepers and feast keepers and doing our best to keep and honor the Torah since 2002. Uh, we were members of a Messianic Jewish congregation in Northern Virginia for five years. Um, when we moved to... Uh, Charlotte, initially in 2016, we connected with Founded in Truth, Matt Vanderell's congregation, and we are very much enjoying our part of the community there. So along the way, um, we began to understand that we get to be part of, part of the bridge that the Lord is building between the Christian and Jewish worlds. Now, there are several ways you can explain this. And uh, seeing as how I'm walking in a number of different camps, I have to figure out what language I'm speaking at a, any given time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with, and, and I am an unapologetic, unreformed, two-house Hebrew roots guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I understand that when God made his um, covenant, what we would call the new covenant or renewed covenant, which I think we'll talk about later, when he did that, saying, I will make a new covenant. He did so with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Well, if Judah is the Jewish people and I'm not Jewish, then 
uh, how, how am I connected with this covenant? There's only other one other house to be in. Yeah, mm -hmm. especially when I hear uh, Paul saying, Galatians 3.29, my favorite soundbite, you know, in Christ you are Abraham's seed. Well, again, I'm not Jewish, but we sing about Father Abraham had many sons, and I'm one of the, you're one of them, and so am I. So let's all praise the Lord. Right hand, left hand. It, <laughs> I remember that from Sunday school. Uh, you know, we began to take seriously this, this fact of we are children of Abraham. We are part of Israel because God said so. And if we're pledging allegiance to Israel's Messiah King, the one I now know as Yeshua of Nazareth, the one I grew up knowing as Jesus Christ, well then, I must be part of that nation of Israel that he is regathering and restoring and with which he has made a covenant of redemption and a covenant of peace that he is extending through them to all nations. So that's how we get to this point now that I have a number of Israeli Jewish friends and colleagues and a number of Hebrew roots and Messianic and Christian friends and colleagues and we all have pieces of this kingdom that we've been all praying for in our different words over the centuries of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're all walking toward that final revelation and the final redemption of all Israel and the nations. So that's me in a thumbnail sketch. Hmm. So how do you, so you, you obviously know a lot about history. You've, yeah. you've, now, did you ever finish your PhD or did you move on to other things before that was done? Well, I moved on to other things. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's kind of a long story. But honestly, um, I, had, I had entered into candidacy in the program, passed my uh, exams in the spring of 2001. Uh, and I was just starting to negotiate with my academic committee on a dissertation. And that's when the spiritual revolution in my life and my family's life began. And also 9-11 happened, September 11, mm. 2001. I was sitting at my desk uh, across the highway from the Pentagon when we got the news of the uh, planes hitting the, um, the World Trade Center. And then one of my uh, colleagues half jokingly said, well, I wonder when they're gonna hit the Pentagon. And 20 minutes later it happened. And we felt and heard the impact. I could have seen it happen if I'd been at the right set of windows. But we were at that set of windows seconds later to see the smoke coming up and the debris coming down onto the highway and the doors opening and the people evacuating. And um, the whole world changed and our lives changed at that point. Uh, within a month, I was um, back in uniform as a activated reservist doing current intelligence updates for the Army senior leadership in the, Arm, in the Pentagon. And uh, it just went on from there. So by that point, I realized there wasn't the need to go back and finish the dissertation and finish the PhD. So I'm half a doctor, mm. how's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, still, you're a teacher. Yeah, you can talk all your doctor, doctor, teacher, rabbi, all sure. the same thing, right? Well. Let's just say I'll be glad to share what I know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, and speaking of what you know, so, so having known, known all this history and world history, mm -hmm. what's, your, what's your favorite venue or a, a vein of history that you study? What, what's your favorite thing to dive into? That's a hard question because I've never found a subject of history I didn't like. Hmm. Um, I mean, even when I was at Arizona and learning from 
uh, sitting in a labor history seminar and a women's history seminar. There are things I needed to know there. Mm. And I appreciate uh, what my professors brought out. But honestly, what, what has captivated me early on was the Civil War because that's my, my family's story. Mm. My great-grandfather uh, was a Confederate veteran. His stepfather, the man he knew as father, was a Union veteran, and they did meet on field of battle. Wow. That's a, that's a story I'll be telling at some point. That's, that's a great one, yeah. Yeah. So when you see, you know all this history, and you see the history of Israel now, mm-hmm. Being a Torah observant believer, I mean, you must think, "Wow, this is uh, this is something I've got to dive into, isn't?" Yes, actually, it's um, when I was growing up at Dawson Memorial Baptist Church in Homewood, Alabama. My our, um, one of the first men who was speaking into my life was our pastor, Dr. Edgar Arendal, and uh, I remember the sermons he preached. I remember him preaching from the Old Testament. And I remember one in particular called the name of the sermon, Then Came Sennacherib. And it was about King Hezekiah and how he prepared to meet the Assyrian King Sennacherib when he came. Um, And I was just captivated with Israel's history from an early age. Uh, Then, especially in the last 20 years, I've come to understand Israel's modern history. And in many ways, it's even more fascinating. Hmm. Because we're familiar with the miracles of 10 plagues in Egypt, the Red Sea splitting, the Jordan River splitting a generation later when the people go into the land under Joshua. We're, we are used to that kind of miracle. But the miracle of Jewish families right now today as we speak, walking out into the hills of Judea and putting up new shelters for new homes and towns to reclaim the biblical heartland in obedience to God's command and in faith that he will fulfill his promises, that is a miracle that the world doesn't yet recognize. Or to talk about the Six-Day War in June of 1967, it has been said, now that I know about the war, that at West Point, they don't teach the Six-Day War. Why? Because you can't teach miracles <laughs> and, and make military doctrine out of it because it was a miracle. Mm. You know, the, the Israeli government was um, preparing to dig mass graves in Tel Aviv because they expected to be slaughtered there in June of 1967. But no, God turned it around and instead of Israel being wiped off the map, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, the house of Judah regained control of all Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, and, and some great things happened after that. But that in its, that's just one miracle. Um, you know, 120 years ago, that plot of land on the Eastern Mediterranean was barren. Um, in 1869, I believe it was, when um, Mark Twain was traveling the world, <laughs> and he went to Palestine, as it was called, I'll tell you why it was called Palestine in a minute. But he was traveling through that land, which at the time was a province of the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish Ottoman Empire, and uh, went to Jerusalem, was not impressed. And in his book, uh, Babes Abroad, he wrote a description of how Jerusalem, and in fact, the whole country 
was desolate. They didn't see anybody. There was nothing growing. Uh, why would anyone want to be there? And if you go back and read Deuteronomy 28, and what God said through Moses of, follow me, these blessings will follow you. Um, forsake me, these are the curses that will overtake you. And Twain was um, the witness that that had come about. The land was utterly desolate. A generation later, there was a thriving Jewish community up and down the Mediterranean coast and moving further into the land. Uh, the Jewish people were buying up the land from absentee Arab and Turkish landlords and ply, uh, providing employment to Arabs um, on their farms, in their towns. And the population was coming back. The land was being reclaimed from swamps and deserts until now you see lush and green uh, fields you see tidy communities, you see thriving industries, and you see um, agriculture and scientific developments that astound the world. Uh, all of that, you know, since 1869 up to now, and the only thing I guess holding Israel back is, well, two things. First of all, the opposition of the enemy of our souls, Satan who is doing his best to thwart God's plan, because he wants to be king down here on earth. And the willingness of people, Jewish and otherwise, to believe the word of God and partner with him and to bring it up out. What I, what I learned about Israel as I began to study the roots of modern Zionism is that in some cases, the Jewish pioneers were dragged kicking and screaming into this, oh, we have a homeland and let's return. Um, that could be called political Zionism, looking for a solution to the Jewish problem as it was called in the 1890s. Uh, but spiritual Zionism, religious Zionism is really at the heart of it where people are believing what God said and wanting to, um, wanting to be a part of it. So um, can I tell you why the land is called Palestine? That sounds like a good story, so let's hang on to that for a second. All right. All right, so <laughs> Al is here because of you. Thank you for bringing Al here. Yes, he's local. Yes, he's from South Carolina, but you know what? You still brought him here. Uh, thank you very much. Your donations make it possible, and your donations make things possible throughout the coming months. We've got lots of interesting things coming up, but we want to thank you, first of all, for giving to this ministry. And by doing that, you allow other folks to see this into the future. It allows us to do other things into the future, and it allows us, like we said, to have Al here. So thank you very much. We would ask you to consider to do, uh, do that again, and here is a couple of minutes where you can do just that. We'll be right back. Hey, thank you for your support of this program. Because of you, we get to learn interesting things. Like the next question I'm about to ask Al. Uh -huh. <laughs> Al, during the break, uh, you told me that this was uh, a lot more loaded question than I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah. So, uh, tell us why Palestine is called Palestine. I understand it's not a very simple answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a very simple answer. And why is it important? Well, in the 1930s, Europeans were yelling at Jews saying, Jews go to Palestine. Why? Because they didn't want them in Europe. Now, Europeans and everyone else are saying, Jews, get out of Palestine, because they don't want them there. Mm. So where are they gonna go? 
Hitler had an answer to that. We'll get to that in a little, little bit. But why did we get the name Palestine? Uh, it goes all the way back to the Romans. Hmm. Um, Emperor or Caesar Hadrian, same guy who built a wall separating Roman Britain from Scotland because he was scared of my ancestors. Hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really? Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. okay, so everyone should remember that there was a great Jewish war that happened starting in the year 67 and ending in 70 with the fall of Masada. And somewhere in the middle there was the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the Holy Temple. On, by the way, the same day that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had destroyed the first temple. Uh, that was not the end of Roman and Jewish conflict. That was just the first great Jewish war. At the, uh, at the end of that war, um, Caesar Tiberius, yeah. Uh, anyway, the, the sometimes I get my Caesars mixed that mixed up, <laughs> but that's that's not the important thing. The temple was destroyed. The Sanhedrin, the great ruling council of the the Jewish people, was still there, and they moved to the city of Yavne. Um, but then, two generations later, in the year one thirty five, there was another revolt, and uh, the Rabbi Akiva, who was very influential in the, the Jewish community in Judea at the time, proclaimed that Simon Bar Kokhba, Simon, son of the star, was the Messiah. And Simon Bar Kokhba initiated a revolt against the Romans in the year 135. Yeah, and that lasted about three years. And that was the war that just ended Judea and the great diaspora of the Jewish people happened after that. You know, hundreds of thousands, even millions were, were killed, crucified and by other means killed, um, sold into slavery, scattered from the land. And the emperor Hadrian, would, at the end of his reign, and he, he was hoping to cultivate um, good relations with the Jewish people, but this revolt happened against him and against his policies. And he was uh, so incensed and so hurt by it that um, he authorized the raising of Jerusalem. Just as Yeshua said, not one stone will be left on another. Well, okay, that's when it happened. And uh, sowed it with, with salt. They renamed the, the, the city Iolia Capitolina and made it a Roman civic center. And then renamed the province Syria Palestina and attached Judea to Syria. And they got that name Palestina from the Philistines because the Romans by that point did not want to have any Jewish connection to this land because the Jews had been such a problem for the previous century. And that's how he got the name Palestine. So for the next 19 centuries, it's known as Palestine because the Romans renamed it. Mm. And uh, there was very little Jewish presence left there. Uh, so our understanding of rabbinic Judaism as we currently know it was really started then, uh, second, third centuries with the diaspora, with the destruction of the temple, the total destruction of Jerusalem, the renaming of the Holy Land. Uh, so now uh, one of the organizations I'm affiliated with is called the Nation's Ninth of Av. 
And uh, we name ourselves that because the ninth of Av is the fast of the fifth month on the Jewish calendar. Um, ninth day of the month Av. And that is the day that commemorates both the Babylonian and the Roman destruction of the temple because it happened on the same day. Ninth through the 10th of Av, the fires were still burning. And that is the saddest day on the Hebrew calendar to this day. Jews fast and mourn for more than 24 hours, no food, no water. They sit low under the ground. They don't wear leather shoes because it is a day of humiliation. What are they mourning and fasting about? Well, the fact that um, in the first case with the destruction of the temple, it was because of idolatry. In the second temple was destroyed because of baseless hatred. That's what the rabbis have said for 20 centuries now. And they are mourning the loss of the holy temple, the loss of the holy city, the loss of the holy land, and the loss of the connection with the holy God. It's not just a pity party because Jews are continuously persecuted, although that enters into it. But it's that for, for observant Jews, for those who believe the scriptures and believe the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and do have a connection with him. I have seen this in their, in their walk. They are mourning what they lost and are looking to the day that it will be restored as mm-hmm. is promised. So um, this brings, brings me to what happened since Jerusalem was destroyed completely and the land renamed as Palestine. Well, at that time, the Gentile church was pretty much established and growing. And um, if you wanna know why there's this split between Judaism and Christianity, well, it's really from the second, third, fourth centuries when it's not popular or expedient to be identified with anything Jewish. (laughs) Well, with all the persecution going on, yeah, we wanna separate ourselves as much as possible from all that. Particularly since Christians are also persecuted by the empire Mm -hmm. from time to time. And, And then fourth century comes around and Emperor Constantine says, all right, you're all Christians now. And decrees the day of the sun, that is the day that we shall worship. So that's how we go from seventh day Sabbath to worshiping on Sunday. And other things that have come down into traditional institutional Christianity as we know it. Meanwhile, Judaism is going more and more into the isolationist of the synagogue, the ghetto, the uh, separated community. And that's out of self-preservation because they are holding on tightly to what God gave them, the Torah. And they are seeing their Christian neighbors who are more and more characterizing them as of the devil and cursed of God because they killed God. You know, that's the roots of replacement theology and anti-Semitism, which we are still dealing with to this day. And that's why uh, Jews have been censored, expelled, slaughtered, raped, robbed, plundered uh, in one country after another from that time to this. And much of that centers around the ninth of Av. A lot of it happened. Do you know the... uh, Expulsion from England in 1290 was on 9th of Av. Mm. The reason Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492 to discover the new world is because Columbus was Jewish and he was looking for the lost tribes of Israel and a safe haven for the Jewish people, knowing that 
on the 10th of Av in that year 1492, which is the day he sailed from Spain, Jews were no longer welcome in the kingdom of Spain. Mm. Yeah. So he's pretty much getting out of Dodge. <laughs> Finding a safe place, that's exactly yeah. right. You know, Jews and Muslims both had this decree issued against them, and this was at the heyday of the Spanish Inquisition, during the reign of the Catholic kings, um, Ferdinand and Isabella. They said, you have until this day to get out or convert. Mm. Your choice. Oh, by the way, even if they did convert, that doesn't mean that they were safe. Because <laughs> according to the Inquisition, um, they, had, they had writs of purity of blood that would go back uh, several generations. So if a man might be applying for a civil office and he has to provide this certificate of purity and he starts doing genealogical research and finds out that his grandfather was a Jew and was a converso, he had converted to Catholicism, well, all of a sudden he's suspect. Mm. He may not get the, uh, get the post. And in fact, he may come to the attention of the Inquisition and they might want to find out if the conversion was true. You know, during the Inquisition in Spain, they would, hold they would have tactics like put watchers in high places in cities like Barcelona to see on a Saturday which houses did not have smoke coming up from the chimney. Why is that? Because the Torah says don't kindle a flame on the Shabbat. Wow, really? They yes. did that? So you oh. can identify a Jewish household by, okay, smoke, 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 no smoke. Let's check that out. And even if they're a converso or converted household, they may still be secretly practicing the Torah. And that's how a lot of hidden Jews were ferreted out and um, delivered to the ministrations of the Inquisition. And that's why even today, there are many people coming to understand their Jewish heritage in Latin America, countries where the Spanish and Portuguese empires uh, ruled for many centuries because these Jews would flee, they'd go to the New World, and um, they would have to hide their Judaism even there. Mm. Now, this, is, this was common throughout the Christian world. Uh, even... Well, Germany, um, at the beginning of the Crusades, in the year 1099, the first crusade is uh, proclaimed. And it starts in the spring of that year with a mobilization of peasants in Germany. And the first thing they do in their march to the Holy Land is go kill Jews throughout the Rhineland. One quarter of the Jewish population of the Rhineland in Germany died in a three month period. Mm. Um, on the, the 9th of Av, when, when Jewish services are held annually and they're in their synagogues and they go through, they have a special prayer book. It's called the Keynote. Uh, these are, are lamentations that cry out to God in prayer for remembrance of destruction of the temple, destruction of the land, the exile. Four of those Keynote were written for the Crusades. Mm. And you know, read Jeremiah's lamentation and that five chapters, and then you can read these four about the Crusades and they're saying the same thing and they're crying out in the same heart and the same spirit. And we can't, do you know, do you know Jews were even expelled from territory in the United States? 
this was a surprise to me. It was during the American Civil War mm. when General Ulysses S. Grant was commander of a department that included Western Tennessee, Northern Mississippi, uh, Western Kentucky. And uh, there, were, there was a continuing problem of black market trading in cotton. Now, cotton was the lifeblood of the Confederacy. So anyone who's um, marketing cotton and they, that could help the Confederacy. So the Union had strict controls over the trade of, of the cotton crop. And um, there were persistent rumors that it was Jews at the bottom of this illegal black market trade. Therefore, in December of 1862, General Ulysses S. Grant issued an order expelling all Jews from his military department. Hmm. All Jews, you got two weeks to get out of your home in Memphis or Paducah or Corinth, Mississippi, wherever it is that the Union Army was in control at that point at the end of 1862. Now, uh, to his credit, when President Abraham Lincoln heard this, he was out, outraged and he countermanded the order. But you know, that stuck with Grant. And when he was running for president a decade later, it came back to haunt him. Mm -hmm. But you know, the United States is not immune to this anti-Semitism. Um, so all of that to come down to when the modern Zionist movement is getting started, the language that they have, the only language that they have to use is our homeland is in Palestine. And no one cared at that point because Palestine is just a backwater province of the Ottoman Empire, which is on its last legs anyway. So um, returning the Jews to their homeland in Palestine, well, gee, that's not a problem for us because that means they're no longer here in Vienna or London or Kishinev or wherever they happen to be. So sure, have at it, get out exactly. of here. Exactly, <laughs> and that's, yeah. That's the point. That's why the Jerusalem Post, that great newspaper we know today, it was originally called the Palestine Post. Was it? Oh yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Huh. <laughs> so instead of the JP, it was the PP. Palestine sure. Post. Yeah. TPP. Sounds like toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, where to go now? Let me tell you about the Vilna Gaon. First tell me what that is. What does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> you speak to me in a language I do not understand. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are, we've come from the Christian side of the family. We are familiar in our own ways with the different streams of prophecy and prophetic analysis and interpretation. Guess what? There are similar streams in Judaism. Mm. And there are, there are sages and they wouldn't call themselves prophets but they would say, we're hearing from the Lord, we're studying the scriptures, we're studying what our sages have said before us, we're looking at the times, and we're saying, I think this is happening now. Um, the Vilna Gaon was one of those. Uh, he lived in the city of Vilna, Vilnius, um, Lithuania. A Gaon is like a sage. Sadly, I don't remember his birth name, but that's how he's known. It's mm. the, the sage, the wise man of, of Vilna. And he died in 1800, but he was one of these steeped in the scriptures righteous men who people came seeking wisdom and seeking understanding. 
And he was so honored in his community and through the Jewish um, nation throughout Eastern Europe. Uh, and he would talk a lot about Messiah and what to expect. For instance, one of his, his comments was, when you see the Russians in Constantinople, then know that Messiah is at the door. What's Constantinople? Istanbul. Mm. Ha. Well, the Russians have been knocking at the door of Istanbul for a couple of centuries now. That's another story. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Which we need to get to. You've got a lot of stories here we need to get to. So anyway, continue. Okay, well, Vilna Gaon died in 1800, and he was adamant throughout his, uh, his life of return to the Holy Land. So many of his followers, after his death, made Aliyah mm. and were among the first to return to the Holy Land. Um, then, and it was their descendants who were there when Mark Twain was coming through. Of course, he probably didn't talk to them and get to know them. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you talk about dry bones being brought together and leaven being put in a lump of meal and leavening it, well, that's what these folks were doing. Mm. There were many others at the same time who were getting the same call, um, until we get to 1882 when we have what is the first Aliyah, uh, the first wave of immigration of Jews back to the Holy Land. And uh, m most folks are familiar with what came out of Eastern Europe because it was in the 1880s that um, opposition against the Jewish communities in Eastern Europe and the Russian Empire in particular was heating up. And uh, pogroms were happening, riots against Jewish people. Um, the worst have ha happened in Kishinev, which is now in Moldova, in uh, I believe that was 1903. But many Jews realized that there was no longer a safe place in Europe. So in 1882, communities began to return to Palestine, to Israel. Mm. And they had a benefactor who helped them, the Baron Rothschild of England. He was called a great benefactor. Um, Jacob Rothschild. In fact, there is a city now in Israel called Zikron Yaakov. Remember Jacob in honor of him. Because these Jewish communities would not have survived if they didn't have his financial and other help. I mean, bringing experts to help them learn how to drain swamps and turn them into productive fields. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I know that uh, many in the audience will be ambivalent about the Rothschild family. Okay, I'm aware of that, but I'm also aware that Jacob Rothschild was the great benefactor, and it was his son to whom the Balfour Declaration was written in 1917. Wow. Well, there's a lot of things we don't know here, obviously. You're opening the doors to things that maybe we need to understand a little better. Yeah. Uh, the Rothschilds, for one. Yes. Uh, so we're going to talk more. I think we have several episodes worth of things here. Uh, Several stories you've hinted at we haven't even touched yet, so we need to do that, number yes. one. Yeah. So would you join us for a few more weeks, sir? It would be my honor, Scott. Okay, very good. All right, Al, Al McCarn, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Shabbat Night Live. We have a lot more to come from Al. So you join us next week, and until then, Shabbat Shalom. We will see you next week. Mm -hmm.